you can take all the right supplements, eat all the right foods, do all the right lifestyle and environmental things. But if you don't have enough parasympathetic tone, meaning enough activation of your parasympathetic nervous system, your body will not be able to utilize those supplements, foods, therapies, etc. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear from Dr. Tim Jackson. Today, we're going to talk about the autonomic nervous system and how it impacts longevity. He is a wealth of knowledge, and he is about to flood us with tips for parasympathetic tone. Let's get rolling. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast. Today, I have for guest, Dr. Tim Jackson. He received his undergraduate degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University in 2003. He completed his doctorate in physical therapy from the Medical University of South Carolina in 2009. Realizing that manual therapy and orthopedic care helped only some of his patients, he began studying functional and environmental medicine, as well as digestive health, in an effort to help others achieve wellness. Dr. Tim is educated in nutritional biochemistry, digestive health, and its systemic effects, functional endocrinology, epigenetics, mold and Lyme disease, and autoimmune neuroimmune disorders. He completed the spine portion of the active release technique methodology, a system that addresses musculoskeletal trigger points and helps to expedite the healing process. Dr. Jackson trained with Dr. Kendall Stewart to learn the far-reaching implications of methylation deficits and their role in neuroimmune syndromes. He's been featured on the Bulletproof Executive Podcast, Ben Greenfield's podcast, RobWolf.com, The Huffington Post, as well as countless health and wellness summits. He's on the advisory board for Your Second Half, a program that helps collegiate and professional athletes transition from athletics into other careers, and the medical advisory board for Greensmoothiegirl.com, a site with several million visitors per year. Dr. Jackson's clinical expertise spans everything from brain rehabilitation, functional endocrinology, Lyme disease, and stealth pathogens, integrative gastroenterology, mold toxicity, epigenetics, and mitochondrial dysfunction. That's a mouthful. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jackson. Thank you, Dr. Gray. I appreciate you having me on. So tell me how you got interested in functional medicine. You have so many different trainings and certifications, it sounds like. So where does your journey begin? Yes, I went to undergrad at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I did all the pre-med requirements to get my MD. And then my senior year, during winter break, I had jaw surgery, orthognathic jaw surgery. And I was under anesthesia for over eight hours. And they put a lot of titanium plates and screws in my mouth. And I came out of that not recovering like a shell of my former self. And, you know, the surgeon basically said, well, this never happens. (laughs) And I said, well, that happened to me. And so at that time, 2002, 2003, functional medicine was not like mainstream as it is now. And so I started eating healthier, exercising. I mean, I was exercising already, but I found this local ENT who was a medicine doctor and he treated me for candida and some heavy metals. And that certainly helped. But, you know, there's many pieces to the puzzle. But that got me started. And preceptorships I had done at the Wake Forest School of Medicine, they said, you're really interested in nutrition. You know a lot about it. You can go to med school and you'll do fine, but you're going to be frustrated constantly. So just get a ticket to play the game. So, you know, I got my doctorate in physical therapy and orthopedic rehab. 
started out, I was studying while I was getting my doctorate, I was studying functional medicine. And then when I got out, my first job was in orthopedic rehabilitation. So obviously now I want to ask questions about your injury. Like, why did you have to have jaw surgery? (laughs) Well, you know, the unsettling part of it is that I didn't. But when you're 20 or 21 and the surgeon tells you, if you don't have the surgery, you won't have any teeth left by the time you're 30. Then I'm like, oh, let's do it tomorrow. But, you know, not only did it not help the issue, which was maxillary deficiency, it made it worse. And yeah, totally unnecessary. And the surgeon, scary part is he teaches surgical residents. Mm. So that jaw surgery, um, you know, and each tooth is connected to a different meridian throughout the body. But then the brain and the teeth are derived from the same embryonic tissue. And so there's that connection. And so I had severe brain fog, you know, when I came out of the surgery. Sounds like functional medicine did help you if you were treated for some yeast and some heavy metals. Did you improve with time? Am I cutting to the chase here? Did you? (laughs) I improved enough to function at what most people would consider a high level, but it wasn't a high level for me, you know, and that's what's important is your baseline. Sure. You know, what you're used to. And that, I tell that to everyone. But yeah, the candida treatments certainly helped because I had been on so many antibiotics mm-hmm. unnecessarily. Sure. But, you know, I was in the allopathic mindset and I'm like, oh, this is the top medical school. I definitely need to listen to the doctor. But the guy that came in to see me was almost 400 pounds. So, you know, in hindsight, it was probably good that I took my health in my own hands. You have a journey like so many of us do. <laughs> Um, And part of my journey, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, I believe now in hindsight, right, and reflecting back, part of a lot of the issues that I was experiencing likely were from mold toxicity at an old uh, location that I was working at. We are now in a very mold-free environment, thankfully, but I know what mold was, how mold was impacting me was contributing to some autonomic nervous system dysfunction or POTS. Um, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I had very fast heart rate. Lots of things contributed to my symptoms, which I wrote about in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. I was very low on magnesium, had very low blood pressure, which I needed more salt. I was eating gluten and foods I shouldn't have been eating. I had SIBO. I had all kinds of problems. (laughs) But let's go back to talking about the autonomic nervous system because a lot of people have heard of the nervous system, but they don't quite know what the autonomic nervous system is. And I know that's something you specialize in. So tell us what it is how it relates to longevity, what is the autonomic nervous system? Within the central nervous system, you have the autonomic nervous system, and that's broken down into the parasympathetic branch and the sympathetic branch. So the sympathetic is the fight or flight or freeze response, and the parasympathetic is the rest and digest or the feed and breathe aspect of your nervous system. So I tell my male patients, you can't have an erection when you're running from a tiger. And that makes sense. Yeah, You know, basically you have to meet certain physiological requirements like satiation, you know, if you're hungry before you're going to be interested in higher level functioning. And so the autonomic nervous system, all of our organs are duly innervated. So they have a sympathetic innervation and a parasympathetic innervation. And so it's never that one system is 100% on and the other one is totally off. It's a percentage. And sympathetic is good for athletes going into competition. And if we have to mount a stress response, but today, you know, it's like a system that's getting overtaxed. 
And so people get stuck in a sympathetic dominant state. And that equals things like elevated heart rate, blood pressure, increased risk for heart disease, diabetes, neuroimmune slash autoimmune syndromes, gut dysfunction, and you know the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, you can take all the right supplements, eat all the right foods, do all the right lifestyle and environmental things. But if you don't have enough parasympathetic tone, meaning enough activation of your parasympathetic nervous system, your body will not be able to utilize those supplements, foods, therapies, etc. You may likely have heard me talk about one of my favorite products in several episodes called Adrenal Calm. It contains a unique blend of botanicals and nutrients that support the stress response, particularly promoting cortisol balance. Specifically, Adrenal Calm includes a blend of adaptogenic botanicals and nutrients formulated to counteract the effects of daily stress and support healthy energy levels. It also contains phosphatidylserine and L-theanine, both of which reduce that half-life of cortisol or, in other words, calm adrenaline. I love using this in the afternoon if I've had a stressful workday or before public speaking. It can also be taken on a daily basis as many of us have more daily stress now than ever before. If you're interested in learning more about adaptogenic herbs, read Chapter 6 of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And check out our product guide info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash adrenal hyphen calm. To get 10% off adrenal calm or L-theanine, use code calm at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. I want to go back for a moment because what you said was totally true about myself. So as a female, I was having problems with infertility at the same time. So I was very stressed because I had gone to grad school three times, built a practice. I was way too busy, had way too much on my plate. <laughs> and I did have very high heart rate and I was in that fight or flight mode. I didn't realize it. I thought I was handling all my stress just fine, but I wasn't. And that was robbing me of really important progesterone. So in a male, like you were talking about the importance of testosterone, which helps with erections, right? In a female, I needed progesterone to help with fertility. Needed all the hormones, but primarily progesterone. So what you were describing was was totally me. And I have had to learn <laughs> to manage stress. <laughs> it's, a, it's a journey. It's an ongoing journey for, for many of us. So I'm sure many listening can relate. So let's talk about, I don't know how to phrase this, but building or working on that, that parasympathetic tone. So give some tips to our listeners about how we can do that. So one tip and, you know, the good thing about this actionable step is that people need to be doing it anyways, and that's using a far infrared or full spectrum sauna. The benefits we could talk about for weeks and still not cover it all, but it causes a parasympathetic shift. So that helps to lower heart rate and blood pressure, but it also improves your ventilatory capacity. So your VO2 max increases. In terms of stress, a sauna would be considered a hormetic stressor meaning that you apply it. It's kind of like pressing on the gas pedal and then backing off, letting your body adapt. A parasympathetic shift definitely occurs using the sauna. Frequency trumps duration. So if you can only do 20 minutes, six days a week, that's better than an hour and a half twice a week. So that's one way to help shift to a more parasympathetic state. Deep breathing is really key. And most people today are not breathing properly for a number of reasons, from musculoskeletal reasons to physiological reasons. But deep belly breathing, for sure, 
four seconds in through the nose, six seconds out through the mouth. And then you have an important part of the autonomic nervous system, the vagus nerve or the wandering nerve. And that nerve, I wonder why we didn't cover more of it in school, because it, it controls all of our inner organs, our internal organs, peristalsis and digestion in the gut. If you have poor vagal tone, then you're not going to be able to heal your gut. You're not going to be able to detoxify properly. The vagus nerve, you can have low tone in it from low acetylcholine levels because that nerve is lined with receptors for acetylcholine. And so if you're deficient in that, that's going to lead to poor vagus nerve activation. And the vagus nerve is also responsible for what's called the anti-inflammatory reflex. You'll notice, like when I do my vagus nerve simulation, improvement in mood, improvement in brain function, improvement in digestion. Taking CDP choline or cytocholine can help increase vagal tone. Oxytocin, nasal spray comp can help, especially if someone has a high adverse childhood event score. So those are, are some major ways, along with vagus nerve exercise. So, you know, if you search on the internet, you know, I think there's 34 to 38 different exercises from gargling to using the tongue depressor to activating the dive or diver's reflex where you breathe out against pursed lips and a pinched nose, cold face plunges. And then I have a TENS unit that I put on certain parts of my left ear that stimulate the Arnold branch of the vagus nerve. There are other devices, like now I'm seeing a slew of new devices coming out. I know Ben Greenfield has one called Apollo, which I haven't tried yet, but it's a wearable that sends different frequencies and vibrations to uh, serve as an environmental input to your nervous system. And so we've got the sauna, we've got the CDP choline, we've got vagus nerve exercises, I want to break those down because you just you just dumped a lot on us, which is all great. So I'm going to go back to the sauna for a minute because I actually did uh, interview someone uh, previously. We talked a lot about sauna. So listeners, please tune into that episode. But I love that you said frequency is more important than duration because I think sometimes individuals think I got to ramp up the temp to as high as it can go and stay in there until I'm going to pass out. And that's not the case. That's too much. So I like how you said frequency. So what is the frequency you recommend? Are, are you recommending every other day? I mean, what's the max someone should be getting in a sauna? Well, I think it depends on your starting point, how toxic you are, right. how many times a day or how many bowel movements you're having per day, how hydrated you're staying. Because it's easy for me to go sit in a sauna for an hour, hour and a half, and you know, I feel better, but I don't feel like retoxified or anything. But you know, if you're having one bowel movement a day or every other day, and you know you start using the sauna, you may recirculate toxins. Sure, not an easy answer. Depends on the on the person. Yeah, but you know to try to give you a more direct answer, I would say too much would be you know going from never being in one to say forty five minutes a day, six days a week, and you know over time, you know obviously you can build up. But one important point I'd like to make is that even with things like cryotherapy, far infrared saunas, they require a certain amount of health of the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal thyroid axis. 
Basically, if thyroid hormone is not optimized, cortisol is too low or too high, then you may not receive the benefits from that hormetic stressor. Because we have to remember detoxification is very energy intensive. Good point. And I like how you said that also, the hormetic stressor, because we don't hear that word very often. But one of my first podcasts, I interviewed Dr. Terry Walls and her top longevity tip was hormesis, stressing your body intentionally. Because she said, we're so used to just sitting in air conditioning and we're just used to eating constantly and like not stressing our body, not fasting, not sitting in saunas or challenging our body. And that that truly is a good longevity tip. And it sounds like you very much agree. So sauna use is important. Now, deep breathing isn't as easy as it sounds. So can you go over just what you recommend for some of your clients just kind of should we be doing that every single day? What, what should we be doing from a deep breathing standpoint? Yeah, I tell people set an alarm on your phone or on your watch, starting out maybe three times a day and focus on your breathing. Check in with yourself. See how you're breathing. Are you breathing you know, in a shallow manner? What exactly is transpiring? What I have people do is focus on when you breathe in, a lot of us want to suck in our stomachs and look like we have six-pack abs, but your stomach should go out when air goes in. Once you breathe out, then your stomach should shrink. And so one technique, I'll have people lay on their backs, so lay supine with a shoe or any other object really that's safe on their tummy so they can watch themselves breathe. And that alone, just that self-awareness, helping people check in with themselves is probably as beneficial as the breathing itself. That's good. I've never heard that. Don't put your cell phone on your belly. You don't need that radiation. Put your shoe, like you said, put your shoe on your belly. Something light, yeah, (laughs) that you can then just watch rise. That almost makes you pause and slow down and watch that happen. It makes you breathe. That's a good, good tip. So ideally, a couple times a day, we would be checking in and doing that. Yeah. And if you track, we'll talk about heart rate variability here in a minute, but if you track your heart rate variability, there's not really a good range or optimal range, just universal. It's more about you testing at baseline and keeping more and more data points to make sure you're trending upward. Sure. Because one individual may need to debreathe 20 times a day if they're on a really, <laughs> you know, they're in a stress, if they're having a terrible, stressful day. Versus another who's maybe been in more of that parasympathetic state, maybe they don't need to do deep breathing every day. So again, it kind of depends on where that person's at. I want to next talk about some of those vagal tone or vagal stimulation exercises. So you mentioned gargling. So what's the trick with gargling? How long do you have to gargle for? What, what's the... Aim for a minute at least. You know, you can build up over time. And it doesn't matter what you gargle. It can be my Zevia drink. It could be water be mouthwash, whatever, uh, as long as it doesn't have fluoride in it. (laughs) Um, But gargling, I would say a minute, at least twice a day in conjunction with some of the other vagal nerve exercises can help greatly. Chewing gum is another one. If the gum's not toxic, right? There's always some caveat. Yeah. (laughs) What about singing? I've heard singing is very good. Yeah. And, you know, that is actually why most people don't know that, you know, in yoga, when people are going, um, that is at a frequency that helps stimulate the vagus nerve. Singing, humming, both activate the vagus nerve through many different neurological pathways. You can use the tongue depressor where you stick it back just far enough to elicit the gag reflex. 
A lot of people don't want to do that one, and I totally understand. <laughs> Not when I can sing. I'd rather sing or do something more pleasant. Than, <laughs> than exactly. <laughs> one other way is to do cold face plunges, where you know you fill your sink with cold water and ice, and you either splash the water on your face or you dip your face into the water. And that stimulates something called the diver's reflex, which helps increase vagal tone. And are cold ice baths along that same premise too? Yeah, they are. What I find with a lot of my patients and clients is that, you know, when they come to me, they have various physiological and environmental and emotional stressors. So doing a long cold ice bath may be perceived by the body as an additional stressor. And it won't be that way forever. It's about managing their allostatic load. So when I can correct some of those imbalances, then they can go back to doing the cold baths. But yeah, the cold baths are, are great. Great tips. And you even mentioned the adverse child event score, the ACE score. I interviewed Dr. Keisha Ewers recently, and she went in depth into that, which is just extremely important and also neglected many times with conventional medicine. So that's that's wonderful as well. So tell us some reasons why why we're needing to incorporate these activities. So why are we so sympathetic dominant? What are some of the triggers for that? Obviously high stress, if we're, you know, trying to just be top performers, uh, athletes, they're going to have high cortisol. They're going to be in that sympathetic state, sometimes intentionally. But what are some other reasons why we're stuck in that sympathetic dominant state? Yes. So let's define stress. You know, a lot of people think of getting stuck in traffic or having a disagreement or argument with someone, but that's emotional and psychological stress. And it's definitely not good for you but also systemic infections, viruses, stealth pathogens, dysbiosis in the gut, heavy metal, mold toxicity, all of those things. Anything basically that creates inflammation will initiate a sympathetic loop. So someone could not have a lot of psychological stress in their life. I see this. Women come to me and they're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I have no reason to have these symptoms. I, I'm happily married. I'm financially secure. Like, why, why is my body <laughs> in this stress state? But it could be something else like an infection, even something like mold. Is that something that you look for in your patients, mold toxicity as well? Tell us yeah, your experience so I've been studying mold since 2009 when a friend of mine gave me the book Mold Warriors by Dr. Shoemaker. I have the, I don't even like calling it this, but the dreaded genotype. Like uh -huh, Dave me Asprey too. does. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. And so I don't use a lot of the markers that Shoemaker recommends anymore. I more utilize the urine mycotoxin test. Me too. Yep. And, you know, I tell people if the results are elevated, I can't say that all of this came from your house or your office or the grocery store. It's probably a combination of things, but testing for those infections. And then, you know, it initiates something called the cell danger response. We haven't talked about a lot on this podcast, but I've heard Neil Nathan talk about this a lot. So tell our listeners about the, the cell danger response. <laughs> so the cell danger response is basically, you know, no cell is an island. Like cells are constantly communicating. And when there's a stressor or a physiological imbalance, they communicate that. And so sometimes if you try to get out of the cell danger response and you're still really toxic, it's not going to work. So toxins can put you in the cell danger response. Infections can. I like to describe it as sort of a sympathetic response at the cell level. Hmm. I like it. Never heard of it that way, but yeah, I like that. 
Yeah. And so with mold, I mean, that affects everything from blood flow to the brain, to mitochondrial health, to mood, to energy. One thing that all mycotoxins have in common is they're immunosuppressive. You can take immune-boosting supplements, but you got to get the bad stuff out as well. You mentioned mitochondrial kind of dysfunction there. So tell us how that relates to longevity and how you approach that with your clients. Mitochondrial health is everything because when your mitochondria work better, everything works better. You feel smarter, you sleep better, you're stronger, you can communicate in a more articulate manner. In terms of approaching the mitochondria, we can look at organic acids tests and see, you know, if there might be some imbalances, but you'd be hard pressed to find someone today who doesn't have, you know, some degree of mitochondrial damage because just our own cells producing energy creates some free radicals that in turn damage the mitochondria. And the important thing to know about the mitochondria is they're not surrounded by histones, those protective proteins that our nuclear DNA double helix is surrounded by. If you're deficient in things like glutathione, superoxide case, which is another antioxidant. The internet just cut out for a minute, but I'll repeat that. He said superoxide dismutase. And then say the next one. Yeah. And so both of those are antioxidants and are needed to protect the mitochondria. And so, you know, I have a, an approach that's multifaceted. One, you know, we want to protect the mitochondria. Two, we want to fix the mitochondrial membranes, which you can do with things like phosphatidylcholine, mm-hmm. NT factor energy, supplements like that. And then there are certain toxins that can block like the electron transport chain complex one. If you're low in CoQ10 or carnitine, those can be helpful, but that's only part of the mitochondrial story. And one important link I think your listeners would like to hear is that the mind and mental stress is directly correlated with mitochondrial health. And what I've read within three minutes, roughly, of experiencing an emotional or psychological stressor, your mitochondria begin to decline. When your mitochondria decline in function, you can do all the other things with the antioxidants, et cetera, but it's not going to be as fruitful as you know you want. Another tool that I like to use for mitochondrial health and overall body health is molecular hydrogen. I have a machine that makes the water and has the nasal cannula. What makes molecular hydrogen unique is it's really small. And it can get into the mitochondria where it needs to go. And not only does it help regenerate damaged mitochondria, it helps stimulate the production of new mitochondria. We um, have always carried the molecular hydrogen little fizzy tablets that you can drop in your water. Yeah. Most, I think almost everyone can benefit from molecular hydrogen except those with uh, hydrogen-based SIBO. Yep. <laughs> and I've experienced that myself. I thought, why can I not tolerate this? Okay, my SIBO must not be gone because... <laughs> I took it and I felt worse. I'm glad you said that. You're the only other person I know who said that. So you alluded to a while back, heart rate variability. So let's go back to that. So that's a means of kind of tracking the health of the autonomic nervous system. So tell us what heart rate variability is, how we can incorporate it, why it's important. It would be what we consider common sense to think that, you know, our heart rate should be the same every minute and it should be constant. But actually, the more you can fluctuate or the more your heart rate is able to fluctuate, 
the healthier and more resilient you are. So I call that a physiological buffer zone. You know, you have more room for stressors. Heart rate variability, you know, in terms of measuring it, there's many devices out there. And it's not about comparing your number to someone else's. It's about taking the baseline measurement, implementing some of the things we've discussed, and tracking it over time to make sure that it's trending upward. But what's your favorite? Tell us what your favorite. <laughs> Heart rate variability. Yeah. So I think the aura ring. Okay. Yeah. But, and that you know, also tells you about the amount of time you're spending in different stages of sleep. With heart rate variability, uh, even uh, some of the professional strength coaches, I know for certain NFL teams use it because the best athletes in the world, people would think that they're just revved up all the time, but they're actually parasympathetic, parasympathetic, sympathetic, and then back to parasympathetic. Getting yourself back to that parasympathetic state is so important. I mean, that's how we heal and recover. And that's probably the best longevity tip we could really provide to our audience is just... (laughs) teaching them how to improve that parasympathetic state because that, that tone, because that's, that's what we need more of. And especially at this time in the world, a lot of people are in the, the fight or flight again. I love how, how you also mentioned that you worked with athletes. What else do you recommend for athletes? It depends on how much they're buying into this. Usually they're seeking my help outside of, they're like, well, the team doctor didn't mention this. I'm like, well, if the only thing you have to do is surgery, and that's what you're going to do. More and more uh, athletes are incorporating things like red light therapy, um, which helps mitochondrial health and stimulates collagen production and nitric oxide. But other things I have athletes do, the TENS unit on the ear. I mean, I have a lot of people do that, but especially athletes. And uh, I have them track very closely their heart rate variability because, you know, if they or do a full body or an upper body workout that day, their heart rate variability is low, then their risk for injury is increased. And so there's actually a company that has a little device that you can put on players. And I'm not sure exactly how it works yet because I just learned about it recently. But, you know, it can tell you, okay, this player, if he stays in for one more play or one more rep, he's going to pull a hamstring or something. Wow. And so, yeah, the exercises, in my opinion, are good. But when you've been stuck with low vagal tone for quite some time, it's going to take something like a combination of the exercises, the TENS unit, the CDP choline, all of those things. Now, in traditional medicine, and you know more about this than I do, but they have implantable vagus nerve stimulators. Right, right. During everything from MS to Parkinson's. Etc. So yeah, similar concept used for a little different means, but yeah, make makes sense. You've you've given us so many. You're like a biohacker. You've given us so many, <laughs> so many tips. I imagine you've piqued the interest of many listeners. So tell us where listeners can find you. Are you on social media, or where can they find you? Healyourbody.org.org, and I am on. If you search for Dr. Tim Jackson on Facebook, they'll find my page. And I'm learning to use Instagram more and more. It's Dr. Tim Jackson, Dr. Tim Jackson. If someone wants to email me or contact me through my website, use the code Dr. Gray15. I offer a number of different consultations and programs. I will have a special discount for them. 
Wonderful. It's one thing to kind of hear all of these tips, but it's you can take your health to another level when you work with a practitioner like yourself or, or myself to help you interpret this data, right? So you track your heart availability, but you may not know what the heck it means or how to look at the graphs and what you could be utilizing more of. So I think using our expertise can be very valuable. <laughs> I understand you also have a free gift for listeners. So we talked a little bit about mold today, and I know this has to do with mold. So expand on that. So this is going to be a mold checklist. It's going to include things to look for in your home or office, symptoms, yes or no, do you have the symptom? And it's also going to include a list of products people can purchase at the health food store or various local stores that will help create an environment that is not conducive to mold growth. And it'll also have a few supplement recommendations. Wonderful. We all need that. We had a huge storm here in Iowa recently, and we already have had two floods here. We've already had, I mean, a lot of patients already have had mold. And then we had this storm and half of our city needs new roofs, if not the entire city. And it's going to be years of remediation here. So I know mold is something many of my patients already have, but many of their friends and family are now going to have <laughs> challenges with. And so I really want to get the word out there using things like your, your free gift that you're offering to our clients. So take advantage of that. That'll be posted in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and just riddling off all of these. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for time. having me, Dr. Gray. I appreciate it. And you're doing a lot of good work. Looks like you're doing way more than I am. So I'm just trying to keep up. Well, I think our goal is to help our patients create more resilience to the stressors that life brings. So I'm happy to hear that you are better <laughs> after the journey you've gone through. And now you're doing the same thing I am. We're spreading the word to help others. So um, great minds think alike. I think we have a lot in common and I know we're out on the same mission. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. That concludes another episode. I love interviewing all these experts. This time reminds me what lifestyle changes I can improve in. Dr. Jackson reminded us how important heart rate variability and that parasympathetic tone is. We need to be able to bounce back from the sympathetic state to a calm parasympathetic state. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, I actually purchased an aura ring and tonight I'm going to try gargling for a minute after brushing and flossing my teeth. I'd encourage you to, to pick something you learned today and implement it today. Want to work with Dr. Jackson? Use code DRGRAY10 for 10% off your initial consult. You can schedule with him at healyourbody.org and his social media links will be posted in the show notes. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.